With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we are back on the Anonymous Eagle podcast. My name is Patrick Leary. I am joined, as always, by the man who has about as much optimism about Marquette as Matt Helt had minutes against UMBC. Ouch! Sam Newberry. Sam, how are you? I'm doing good. Um, what... Uh, Give me a minute on your thoughts about Marquette in the first two games of the season. Don't have to get specific. What what is your do you have maybe a one word to describe how you felt about the uh the start to the season, uh good or bad? I'm uh, unsure. Um I'm we've sure. Se- we've seen a lot of good things that we wouldn't have seen last year. I mean, you certainly see better defensive intensity. It looks like we've actually grown more competent. Um at that um, but, you know, on the flip side, there's still some of the defensive mistakes that cost Marquette last year, and there's still some – somehow there's questions about the offense. I mean, you know, they were very cold against UMBC, which I'm sure we'll cover. Um, sure. And, I mean, they got a win because they played good defense, which is, you know, not been this team's M.O. Correct. But uh, it was – I still have a lot of questions about this team, and I think, you know, going into this week's slate of games, we'll really get our first answer. Yeah. Um, all right, so uh, just a quick recap of what happened this week. Um, two games, uh, season opener, November 6th on Tuesday. Uh, it was 67-42, to 42, Marquette with a victory over last season's NCAA tournament darlings and college basketball Twitter darling, uh, UMBC. Um, and then Saturday, um, Bethune-Cookman, sort of a similar story with a lot more offense infused into it, 92-59. to 59. Um, I guess where we can start um, is uh, with the defense. Um, Start with the positives that we saw, um, and the defense is as good of a place to start as any. Uh, Just for a a refresher um, or a sort of summary of how good it really was, um, the combined efforts of UMBC and Bethune-Cookman produced 29% shooting from inside the arc and 19% shooting from outside the arc. Uh, good enough for a 29.4 effective field goal percentage, which is second best in the nation uh, for Marquette, only behind Nebraska, somewhat randomly. Um, Obviously, all of it's random this far into the season. Um, But uh, defense, probably the uh, biggest uh, story uh, from the first two games. Um, Personally, I thought uh, the defense... uh, as much as it's probably difficult to extrapolate what that kind of defense would look against competent offensive talent, for lack of a better word, um, I thought it looked fantastic. And actually, um, you know, one through nine, do they have nine active players? No, one through 11. They're playing 11 guys, right? Yeah, basically. So I, oh, no, Ike and Greg. Ike and Greg are the two. And so then, 10. Yeah. And you count Matt still. Yeah. Kind of. But uh, We'll get into that. Well, yeah. God. Save the waterworks for the end of the podcast. Um, but uh, I thought 1 through 10, they're guarding really well. Um, they're moving uh, their uh, feet on defense. I thought they're guarding pick and rolls pretty well. Um, it, shot contests were fantastic. Uh, rebounding, defensive rebounding was fantastic. Um, there were some, you know, lapses, and as is, um, you know, bound to happen in the first two games of the season. Um, but I just thought, as a whole, the defense uh, was fantastic, and obviously, it's not going to probably be anywhere near this good um, when uh, high quality opposition rolls in. Um, but I thought it was encouraging uh, just to see it play as well as it did. Yeah, I mean, I think. Uh, one of the biggest things that's going noticed by the Marquette fan base is how good the interior defense has been. And, I mean, yeah, so we've played against teams without really true aggressive, physical, athletic big men so far. But we've really seen um, Ed Maron, Theo John control the paint, control the low block, 
um, defensively for the most part, um, which is something that we aren't really used to. Sure. Um, but uh, I think that's been good. Uh, I, I still have some questions about them hedging as hard as they do on screens, sure. especially once you come up against, for example, Romeo Langford, who we're going to see this Wednesday. Yeah. Um, you know, like, how do you deal with a more athletic guard, at, like, with the big man hedging on him? Yeah. Um, and there's still been some lapses on the pick and roll. I mean, not having the world's worst pick and roll defender. Um, Andrew Rousey. Yeah, a.k.a. Andrew Rousey. Um, playing with the you, the pick and roll defense has been better, but it's, there's still been some times where people look lost, and it's really been that interior defense carrying the fact that sometimes the pick and roll defense gets lost. Yeah, and I think to your point, um, there wasn't a player on UMBC or Bethune-Cookman that I would categorize as a legitimate offensive threat. Um, Isaiah Bailey for UMBC at 22 points, but um, I don't think he did it in a way that was super um, impressive, Um, and he had a a huge usage, and Ken Palm still had him under 100 offensive rating, meaning below average efficiency. Um, So, I mean, I don't really think they had to defend any individual player um, of the caliber of like half of Indiana's team. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see um, how that looks both on the road and against high quality opposition um, this week. But I think so far so good. And I think, uh, you know, just seeing it play well um, is not something we really ever saw uh, last year. Um, whenever they, you know, would play thirty minutes a game with both Rousey and Howard, I don't think the defense ever looked as good as it did, even against crappy opposition like it was. Um, so I think it's a really good step forward. Speaking of that, um, just a little, do a little appreciation, a uh, couple of minutes here for Marcus Howard. Um, sort of a rough start uh, to the season uh, against UMBC, shooting wise for him. Uh, he uh, really struggled, especially in that first half. Uh, to shoot it from the field, he uh, ended up. So I just got to. Ken Palm doesn't do doesn't combine the two uh, uh, shooting metrics, but he ended up five for sixteen against UMBC uh, and two for twelve from beyond the arc, which is obviously bad for anyone, um, especially bad for someone who shoots it as well as he does. Um, but even in, even so, in that game, he had eight rebounds and seven assists, um, and I thought that that was sort of a narrative that I saw hinged onto a little bit or um, latched onto a little bit um, by uh, some people uh, around the team. Um, even though he didn't have a good shooting game, he contributed in other ways. Um, and I think you saw a similar game as far as the contributing in other ways goes against Bethune-Cookman, but obviously um, the shooting sort of took a step into the stratosphere. Um, He was 10 for 16, um, 7 of 10 from 3, 8 rebounds again, 5 assists. Marcus is averaging uh, 26 points, uh, 8 rebounds, and 6 assists to start the season. Uh, Ken Palm has him as the fourth most valuable player in the country through two games. The guy's unbelievable, Um, and he went into full gunner mode in the second half of the first half. In against Bethune Cookman, um, the sort of the last ten minutes of the first half, there he was unbelievable. Uh, what did what did you think you saw from Marcus Sam? Um, we, I mean, yeah, we are seeing uh, first and foremost. I mean, yeah, we all know that he's a good shooter. Yeah. So you can always shake your head and go, "Holy crap! How like how are these shots falling? Like these ridiculous step back threes from 25, 26 feet over people, like." You're always going to shake your head and be like, how? But um, I think more impressive to me is, uh, A, how well he's getting to the free throw line and how much better his uh, game going towards the hoop has looked. Um, He's been a lot more willing to uh, drive and then get step back jumpers or get to the rim um, and get to the free throw line. I think I've really been impressed with how well he's done that so far. Yeah. Um, and sort of, you know, continuing to transform his game. And he's, then he's missed a free throw in both games, though. What a, what a travesty. <laughs> How dare he? Yeah. Um, but I think even more so, uh, his, de- his rebounding has been really good. And maybe we can attribute that to the interior defenders really clearing out space for him to go get those. Yeah. But he's had a much better sense of where the ball is going to be 
and where he needs to be. So I'm really impressed just with how his game's rounding out. And yeah, I mean, for sure. Um, you know, you're going to have the weird stuff where he goes two of twelve against UMBC. I'm glad it happened Hopefully. against UMBC. Hopefully not often. Yeah, but, I'm glad yeah. it happened against UMBC and not say you know. Indiana, or you right. know, coming up against Kansas or Kansas State um, yep. later in the non-conference, but um, I'm—I don't have much else to say. He's been yeah. a known offensive threat, and I think it's the other ways that he's been uh, contributing that have been the biggest shock. Yeah, on the shooting thing, I wonder if there's something to the fact that it might just take them a little bit to adjust to shooting in the forum. I don't know if that's—I um, I don't really know. I know that in certain venues, like more extreme sort of football stadium venues, it can be tough to like the shooter's eye um, can be tough to reconcile. And I, maybe it's just the first game he was just kind of getting used to shooting in the forum, or he just—I mean, just had an off night. That's what happens. But yeah, I—I I agree. I think. Um, on his rebounding, he's really um, done a good job of just locating the ball off of the rim, um, being in the right spot, um, uh, to and sort of just like after a shot goes up, looking for a rebound, which is not something I think um, we've seen from him a ton um, in recent years. Um, and uh, the other thing I'll say is I thought he showed tremendous defensive effort in the first couple of games, and I think you see... Um, to a certain extent, although you will probably see it illuminated more if it's in fact the case against better teams, um, is you kind of see the effect of not having Rousey um, next to him in his ability to just sort of like focus on executing his defensive tasks. Because I think um, having Rousey and Howard um, uh, next to each other up top um, always really gave Howard like Situation where he always felt like he might need to have help, he might need to provide help, um, and also like put him under a lot more pressure to defend his own man better. Um, well, he was also a, when when him and Rousey were on the floor together, you were throwing Rousey on the worst guy, right? Because you had to. Yeah. And now, so that was putting. Or him you up. were playing a weird zone at the yeah. up top where they were like ill-equipped uh, lengthwise to play that uh, yeah. pin, top pincers of his own like that. So was, I mean, I think most of the fact is that he's just not having to guard as tough of opposition, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. I mean, like, you're going to build your team around the fact that Marcus is going to be an offensive player first, and that's fine. And you have the the pieces now around him instead of having to put him on somebody who's much harder to guard mm-hmm. because you have to put Rousey on the easiest guy to guard, air quotes. Um, you have somebody like a, a Joseph Chartouni or a Sakari Anum or a Jamal Kane to sort of bear the brunt of that and hide Marcus a little bit more so... I mean, he's he's probably just an average defender in truth, mm-hmm. but he's finally fitting into the system a lot better, yeah. or the system is working a lot better because they're no longer having to play him and Rousey together. Yeah, and I think something else I just wanted to bring up before we switch gears here is I thought we probably, as a collective around the team on Twitter and um, maybe at Anonymous Eagle as well, thought that um, we'd see a lot more Joseph Chartouni than we did in the first couple of games. Just from and and I think I thought that from the jump. Obviously, whenever Chartuni's been in, they've had Chartuni handle the ball, Marcus play off the ball. But I thought that would be what they would want to do primarily um, from the start, and that really hasn't happened. Um, and I don't think that, um, and that might just be a case of knowing their personnel because I don't think necessarily I want to see you know, more Chartouni necessarily than we are. I mean, he played 19 minutes on Saturday. I think he played 16 on um, on uh, Thursday. Yeah, he played 16 minutes on Thursday. Um, and, you know, he's been, he's been somewhat effective as a passer, but I don't think he's really been effective necessarily in other areas. So um, I'm very much okay with uh, Marcus shouldering a lot of the point guard load at this point. Um, but I think I, I just thought that was something that we may have anticipated coming in. Um, speaking of things we didn't anticipate coming in, uh, Theo John. Uh, Theo John is, is a thing. Theo wow. John. Uh, wow. Yeah, wow is right. Theo John. Oh my goodness. Um, I think what I what my consensus was, um, and I talked a lot about this on sort of our preview pods, I feel like, is I thought that Theo John... Um, was a Theo John improving was a definitive way that Marquette could improve because a lot of um, 
what they have um, is sort of similar. Similar, you know, Marcus is what he is as the lead guard. Um, Sam Hauser is what he is. Um, Sakar Annam's still in the lineup. Um, you're gonna put a different kind of player at the point um, besides Andrew Rousey. You know, that's gonna get different and improve in that way. But uh, the center position was a was a potential uh, large jump um, because of Matt's. Matt Heltz, uh general basketball limitations, although I still think that he has been serviceable when they've needed him to be. But I think just looking at Theo's body type and um, general athleticism, it was the thought was always that you know he had the upside um, to deliver. And I mean, the first couple games he's been really good. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Again, it could be a, a product of the opposition. Again, and that's kind of tough um, for this entire sort of reaction. So what we've seen early is um, there haven't been a lot of you know big guys at all on these teams that Marquette has played, other um, let alone uh, quality big guys, which there have been none of. Um, but yeah, Theo, um, for him to be in the starting lineup for Game Two was wild to me, and I think he totally deserved it um, based on the first game. He was incredible in, in Game One. I was happy to see him in the starting lineup, but it's something that I thought just going into the year, given what we thought about Matt's standing uh, within the roster, that it was going to be going to take some time for Theo to get to that point, and uh, he he has arrived. Um, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the fact of the matter is that we didn't really have an athletic center, um, but uh, I think to there, there was a possession against uh, UMBC on Tuesday. That I think really summed up how well Theo has improved, and it was one where, and I think I want to say Paint Touches did a, a really good sort of string of tweets on this mm-hmm. possession, and I wholeheartedly agree with it. That there was a possession where, oh, I think I saw this. Yeah, the the, the the pick and roll came out um, pretty far out beyond the yeah, three point I line. See this. Um, Theo hedged, kept the guard contained, and then switched back to his man in time to play good interior defense. And that just wasn't there last year. Like, yep. the 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 game, the court vi- vision is probably the wrong word here, that sort of the court presence and the sort of the basketball IQ to immediately do that and make the right play. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, he's always been athletic enough to make that play. It's just sure. making that play and then recovering well. And, um, you know, it's the product of having Marcus Howard being the other guy defending the pick and roll instead of Andrew Rousey. Um, like, I, I just think that that sums up how he's improved is that his basketball IQ has gotten a lot yeah. better. And um, my my roommate said it pretty good last year where Theo was just used to being bigger and badder and stronger and sure. more athletic than everybody else when he played in high school. Right. And so it was hard really for him to transition into the college game. But now that he's adapted and had a year, um, I think you're starting to see him really evolving and figuring out what his role is on the team. Um, I mean, he's scoring well. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a double-double against UMBC. Yeah, um, was He's absolutely eaten people on some blocks. And, I mean, again, we can talk down the opposition, but sure. having all of the the basketball IQ and the, the quick thinking to make those plays has been just as impressive as anything else he's done. Yeah. Um, I Yeah, I mean, his improvement um, on the offensive end, I mean, he's, he's 8 of 9 from the field so far this season. Um, obviously, you know, the guy's going to get a lot of dunks. Um, but uh, just to have him, you know, be smart about his uh, his offensive output is really impressive. Um, obviously, against Bethune-Cookman, he only played 10 minutes, um, which was kind of a factor of uh, just how the game was going to a certain extent. They didn't really need him, and then Bethune-Cookman decided that... It was weird that Bethune-Cookman and UMBC were both playing sort of all-guard lineups at various different times. Um, I don't... I wasn't a huge fan of that from a standpoint of Marquette getting some legitimate um, uh, experience um, because those that's not like a realistic thing that Marquette's going to see a whole lot, which is frustrating. Sure. But I think the biggest, my biggest um, excitement about Theo John is in a week and a half, Marquette has to play against Yudoka Azubuki, who's probably the most. Uh, you know, physically intimidating big man in college basketball these days. Um, and so having, um, I mean, not counting like Zion Williamson, who's not really a big man 
other than that's all. Zion Williamson is a freaking unicorn. Yeah. So like, we don't have yeah. to talk about him. Yeah, in this Zion Williamson <laughs> is a big man, but he's not a big man. Um, but uh, as a Buki, he's going to be very, um, you know, he's going to get a lot of touches in that uh, Kansas offense, and he's. Uh, gonna play, uh, you know, a certain a certain amount of minutes. He's not gonna play it uh, a ton. He played 20 minutes against Michigan State, um, and he was in foul trouble. But um, having Theo John, um, a physically strong individual like he is, to be able to guard um, or at least match up against Azubuki, I mean, it might be that he his fouling issues uh, rears his head there, just because that's such a challenging you know player to defend. But that's really encouraging for me that. Um, you know, where I would have been scared for Matt Helt's life against a guy like Azebuki going into that game, now we have Theo John to be able to, uh, you know, at least match him somewhat on the strength end. Um, I think that pretty much covers our thoughts on Theo there. Unless you yeah, want to I mean, anything else? Uh, small downsides. I mean, he's still fouling a lot. He has yeah. He had four against UMBC, three against Bethan Cookman. Um, so hopefully that improves, um, but he's still fouling a lot, and um, he is averaging two and a half turnovers a game. I mean, right. so just being a little bit more confident with the ball, um, being a little bit more secure with it. I mean, he's a big, strong dude. He's going to have to use that strength not only to make physical plays to score or rebound, but also to hold on to the ball. So Yeah, the UMBC game was a bit of a breakout game for him, no yeah. doubt, but obviously he's still got a lot to improve upon. Um but his ceiling is immense, and I think you saw that. And I think it's, it's a good idea for him to start um, going forward. Um, and, you know, obviously, Woja opened game one with Ed Morrow at the five, um, and I thought going to Theo was smart, and I think he's a kind of player that can have um, a good early impact on games because they'll just get it in the post to him early, and he'll get some looks before the defense adjusts to it. Sure. Um, on top of that, I mean... More on the individual note, I think I really liked what I saw from Joey Hauser. Yeah, I'm going to um, eat crow right now. Yeah, no, Joey's incredible. Um, and it, He's not all there yet, obviously, and you wouldn't expect him to be as an 18-year-old uh, basketball player. Um, but, I mean, the potential is immense. And I think Wojo had that uh, press conference after UMBC where um, Joey only had like six points in that game. And he was talking about, like, oh, he's going to be good. Like, he's going to be really good. And he had, like, six points and seven rebounds. And he, he still, he, he flashed it, uh, flashed his potential a lot. Um, but then, obviously, he played better against um, against Bethune-Cookman. I mean, he, he, was, he had five turnovers, which was not good. Um, but sort of stat-wise, I mean, 11 points, seven rebounds, six assists is for a kid in his second collegiate game is an impressive, um, especially a guy who's 6'9 and has the versatility that he has to put that up is really impressive. And uh, in general, I just thought um, for how young he is and how his adjustments are continuing, obviously, for him to play 25 minutes in both games and uh, just show effectiveness um, right from the gate is so encouraging about his future. Uh, and I would like to shout out to Andy, the the anonymous eagle himself. Yeah. Um, Point Joey might actually be a thing, at least in terms of yeah. being able to physically bring the ball sure. down the court instead of um, a point guard is kind of nice. Um, I'm not sure I trust him fully yet to run the offense. Yes. But the fact of the matter is, is he's more skilled as a dribbler um, than his older brother, uh, and definitely I would be a lot more comfortable with him sort of bringing the ball down the court in transition situations. And um, just in general, it's as like another option in case a team starts pressing. Um, yeah. But I want to switch gears really quick. And okay. Because I am noted pessimist Sam Newberry, sure. um, I want to talk about the people that I don't think have impressed that much. Okay. Yeah, we'll switch over, switch gears to uh, some sure. of the negative things. To uh, say. And I think number one on my list has been Chartoony, honestly. Okay. Um, that's interesting. He wouldn't have. Been, he wasn't the. Wouldn't have been the name that came out to me. Um, but I don't think I've really noticed him a lot. He's kind of. Well, I mean, just in general. I. I mean, yeah, he's been passing fairly well. There were still a few really bad, dumb passes he tried to make against Bethany Cookman that I saw on Saturday. Mm-hmm. It's one where he got under the basket and tried to do like an overhead flick to a big man that just tried to go. It, th- there was a lot of confusing things, and then he's been turning the ball over and not been elite as a defensive player. He has one steal in two games. I mean, 
all the things that were advertised about him mm-hmm. haven't. I mean, and yeah, it's only been two games. God, he has a forty-four percent turnover rate. Yeah, That's really bad. Like all the things that he was supposed to bring to this team, he hasn't really brought yet. Yeah. So, um, I, 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 I have the full expectation that he's going to figure it out. And yeah, it's a different stage and it's a different level of play, different program. Obviously, being a grad transfer. So I, I have faith that he's going to figure it yeah. out, but I think right now he's been pretty underwhelming. No, I think that's correct. Um, and then he, the other name. He's looked yeah. tentative for me, just to sure. put my thoughts on it. He's looked tentative, um, and he's looked like he's needed to um, have some time to adjust. Um, he hasn't made a field goal yet either. Which no, is, correct. Which no, is bad. No, no shots in. Um, I don't really think he's one that you want to take a lot of shots. No, but I but. still would, would have liked to see one or two go in just... For his sake. I think what I saw from him, he was doing a lot of pump faking on the perimeter um, to try to penetrate, and I think eventually he's going to have to m- take and make some of those shots to uh, aid his penetration, yeah. um, because it's uh, eventually like those pump fakes are going to stop working and defenders will just wait for him, sure. because he's going to rely on that. And who was your other name? Gonna be? The other name was uh, Brendan Bailey. Okay. Um, which... I. That was honestly all because of the hype we were hearing about it. He's gotten two starts so far. Wojo obviously has confidence in him. I mean, he's 2 of 2 from the line, but he's 0 of 4 from 2. He's 1 of 3 from 3. Um, you know, he's not really in defending elite level-wise. He's not... Uh, I don't. I just really don't think he's done a whole lot. No, like He's I, been starting, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Like, um, I haven't really seen... In Wojo's time, uh, a player that's not proved anything and is young, um, just getting sort of thrown into the starting lineup is well, kind, we kind saw of an it, interesting choice. We saw it a couple years ago with Sam Hauser, but then he immediately started right. producing and performing, yeah. so you're like, oh, I get why yeah. he's starting. Sure. So, um, yeah, right now, Brendan Bailey's just not really contributing much, no, and, I, and I don't see why he's deserving the start over, say... Um, Joey Hauser right. or um, Joey Hauser is who I would yeah. want to like if I had to script a starting lineup right now I think four of them are fine the four of them that started against um, Bethune-Cookman that weren't uh, uh, Brennan Bailey are fine but I would like to yeah. see Joey Hauser I don't know if that lineup works super well like sure. balance wise but Joey is Joey is the real deal and yeah Bailey I mean 22 minutes against Bethune-Cookman he didn't score um, he only used eight percent of the possessions. Um, he was I mean, he's not forward. turning it over, which is nice. Yeah. Um, but he's not really doing much of it. There's not much. He's got two block shots in in each game so far. That's the really, really the only thing you can say about it um, that is significantly positive. Um, but yeah, you're right. He's been very quiet. And it's nice. And it's nice that we can talk about the underwhelming players just being there instead yeah. of like, oh my god, they're Actively costing bad. they're yeah. costing us games. Right. Um, so yeah, we 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 haven't had an epitome of brutality moment yet, yes. which is nice. Um, and I don't think it'll happen. I think this lineup is just too good to um, lose to a team like a Bethune Cookman. Sure. Um, but I'd I'd like to see more out of Brendan Bailey, especially if he's going to continue starting. Um, I think the only other consideration I'd have is maybe starting Jamal Kane over him. Yeah. Um, just for the defensive presence. Um, they're very similar defensive players, and Jamal Kane's probably. A better defensive player. Yeah, Jamal has, um, to me, has been at points not superb. Um, in the first, he's had some mistakes that have stood out to me just watching it. Um, but I will would say that he um, is playing more assertively than Bailey, um, and it looks, you know, by virtue of the fact that he was a significant contributor as a freshman to the team, it looks like he. Um, you know, is ready to continue to contribute, and yeah. uh, he's been he's been playing well um, in for most of the time he's been in there. But, sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really get the Bailey. Um, I, maybe it's a matter of Wojo wants Bailey to get as much seasoning as possible so that he can, um, you know, can contribute to his potential. Um, he's just been tentative so far, and I don't think you've seen. Ton from him, sure. Um, but I, but I think maybe his continued role is a matter of um, uh, trying to uh, make sure he's improving. Um, 
for me, my my least impressive player has been Ed Morrow. Um, I think he's uh, shown in flashes um, a few post moves, and um, his athleticism defensively is helpful. Um, a couple the things I've noticed from him though is his footwork offensively just is underwhelming to me. Um, and maybe it's just a matter of he didn't play f- basketball for a year, so he's still knocking the rust off. But he really, um, I don't know, I, I just am noticing him traveling a lot whenever he gets a catch and, and tries to make a move. And it, it's just not for a guy that's, you know, in his fourth year in college basketball. Obviously, he didn't play in his third year, but um, it, it wasn't something where I was. Uh, I expected him to come in and be sort of this solid presence from the from the jump, and I thought he's made um, a few too many mistakes. Um, and then defensively, I thought he's played um, he's used his athleticism effectively, um, but he's also um, I felt you know fallen for a few too many easy pump fakes from these you know not um, you know high caliber collegiate players that he's defending, um, and so I don't. I haven't, I haven't been impressed, and I hope that it's a matter of him knocking off the rust, so to speak, because I think uh, he could be a significant contributor uh, in a sort of six-man role uh, in the future uh, this season because of how athletic he is. And his, his body type is a really, really good one for um, a, a supportive bench role where he can sort of jump really high and is super athletic and can guard a four and a five and make stuff happen. But, um, I just a few too many mistakes for me from a guy that was supposed to come in and bring like a veteran presence, um, right off the bat. Yeah. Um, I mean, seven minutes against UMBC, right? Yeah. He didn't really, no, no, no rebounds, two turnovers and a foul. Um, no points. Um, 18 minutes against Bethan Cookman, uh, scored eight points, shooting four of seven from the field. Um, missed his only free throw, only two rebounds, um, four turnovers. He did have three blocks. Um, but yeah, I just, I haven't seen anything from him offensively that warrants him getting a lot of touches. And, you know, he was sort of lauded on and hyped up as this, you know, this black hole of rebounding and just suck up everything and be a physical interior presence. And I think he's been adequate as a physical interior presence on defense but the the rebounding certainly hasn't been there and um the offense certainly hasn't been there no um and you know we can't have our big guys combining for eight to nine turnovers a game that just that can't continue right um so i i i think i agree i don't know exactly what's up there i, I really hope it is just shaking the rust off it's surprising to me like you said that he hasn't um that he's not like rebounding at an at like a an average pace. A, yeah, yeah, like like I expected him even if he wasn't playing a ton of time initially to at least, you know, be that shor- shoring up the rebounding element and he really I mean, there it's come from other places. They haven't really needed it, but um I'm shocked that he hasn't done that in his limited minutes. It'll be interesting to see how he fits into the team going forward. And I guess that's sort of a trend from the first two games that is underwhelming in general as we had these two transfer guys come in this year, Chartuni and Moro, and expected them to sort of bring this veteran presence um, and steadying presence to the lineup. And so far, the impact from both of those guys has been pretty negligible for two games, through two games. And I think that's something um, you want to see in a bigger game like against Indiana. Ed played in the Big Ten. Um, for two years, so I mean that's a that's a, a, a game that he's played before, and it would be great to see him sort of bring that veteran presence into a tough road environment like that. But if he's not playing well, like he has at the first two games, it'd be um, I don't really know what kind of uh, impact he's going to have. Um, yeah. I guess the one last thing I want to touch on before we sort of spin forward towards Indiana this week is. I've been sort of dreading this topic of conversation um, for the entire uh, you know week, ever since I sat down in UMBC and our our beloved milkman um, vanished completely um, yeah. under dubious circumstances. Um, Matt Helt, uh, gosh, this is this is this is a tough one for me. Um, Matt's played seven minutes in two games, um, and 
that's just I mean I and so the silver lining is that um, UMBC and Bethune Cookman haven't offered much in the way of a five that it would make matchup sense for Matt to play in. But I guess the other thing is Wojo has showed significant preference to Theo John at the five, Ed Morrow at the five, like a small ball lineup with Joey Hauser at the five than anything involving Matt so far. So Matt's playing time is like the fourth-ish option through two games, and it's it's surprising. Now, um, if you look at it from the standpoint of like, okay, here's who's the most talented, here are the lineups that make the most sense given who's the most talented, this option or potential outcome for Matt wouldn't be totally surprising. But I think the reason that people weren't looking at it like that is just for what Matt's role has been um, the last two years. I mean, uh, in 2017, they had uh, they had uh, Luke Fisher. So the his he was the backup center, um, more or less. But last year, I mean, he was the starting center. And he, I, I, did he start every game last year? Oh, man. Um, he, I, it, it was I don't close. know how to check that immediately. But just off the top of my head, that is something that makes sense. He played 54 54- percent of the minutes last right. year. So, yeah. And I mean, I mean that's massive. He was he was the he was the guy. He was this he was the starting center for last year's team. Um without a doubt, um Theo John was his um backup and Theo only played 27% of the minutes. Harry Froling played 17. Let's not talk about that. Yeah, let's you're right. That was my bad. Don't bring, <laughs> don't bring Harry Froling up. Um but yeah, I mean Matt uh has his uh besides his freshman year where he was not really prepared for college basketball. Um, he has been a consistent role player within the team, and he's viewed from everything we see written about him and everything that comes out from around the program, he's viewed as this sort of team leader from a um, experience and sort of emotional standpoint. Um, I think he's, he's a fan favorite, which helps that. Um, but it's just been surprising to see that he's not playing. Um, I guess, like, you can chalk it up to the fact that um, these teams haven't offered much in the way of centers, but I, I mean, like, Kansas is going to have, as of Yuki, as we said, Indiana's lineup will probably look more conventional than what UMBC and um, Bethune-Cookman offer. But, I, I mean, I don't expect Matt to play any more than, like, five minutes against no. either of those teams at this point, which I, is surprising to I me. Mean, at this point, um, it looks like, according to Ken Palm, um, the starting five for Indiana has Jawan Morgan at the center, who's 6'8". Okay, so, no, Indiana's not going to offer anything conventional. No. I think the first time you'll really see somebody like Matt really needed is Kansas. Yeah. And Indiana, just looking at it, they got some they do backup two, bigs yeah. that are pretty pretty sizable. But I mean, here's here's I guess the thing with Matt is if you are going conventional right now, if you're like you have you're playing a conventional against a conventional lineup, Theo John's the first choice. I yeah. mean, the the way Theo played against UMBC, like he's the first choice, and so is Ed Morrow the second choice? Like is Matt like if if you exclude small ball, is Matt like the the definite third choice? And I think the answer is probably yes right now. And that's without talking about our potential small ball lineups, which right. we have probably one of the better small ball lineups in the nation. Exactly. I think you're going to see a lot more of it too, especially when you don't have to worry about a conventional big-time center. I think you're going to see a lot of sort of the Joey Hauser at the five, Brendan Bailey at the five kind of looks, um, where you have a guy that's you know, long and athletic, but also can um, pass and create. And oh man, it's it's shocking. I mean, if if you take out the context of previous years, and you just line Matt, Theo, and Ed up, like Matt would be the third option. It's that's obvious. I mean, but I just figured his experience and his um, just uh, his leadership role within the team would mean he was the starting center still at this point. I was fully expecting him to be the starting center still. And um, maybe breaking his foot had something to do with it. 
um, and he's like working his way back into game shape. Maybe I don't know. I, that feels like a stretch to me, though. Yeah. Um, because the start of the season was still well outside the recovery timeline for that injury. So I I don't know I don't know exactly what's going on there. Um, but I guess it makes sense that he's not playing as much as he is, and that's a bummer because I just think he's such a beloved player and. Um, in crunch time, difficult situations against elite teams like Kansas, you know that's a different that's a different um, thing entirely. Like obviously, yes, if Theo John is a better player than Matt Hell, I want Marquette to play Theo John at the five and not Matt Hell. But in games like this, exhibition games essentially against these teams that are, you know, have no prayer of beating Marquette, um, it's shocking to me that Matt's not playing. And again, I it, it could all be a product of the matchups and he's gonna play 20 minutes against Presbyterian but I yeah man it's it's weird and it bums me out just because I think Matt is a player that um has given everything to the program um but he might just be sort of running up against his um uh talent ceiling so to speak yeah and I mean I think obviously basketball is moving further and further away from types of players like Matt is um, yeah, you're just seeing sure. that. That's a good and point. we we've we've heard the rumors. I mean, Matt shot some threes in high school, and he shot some. Uh, you know, he, he used to make half court shots to win campers ice cream in summers. Like, like that's right. I, I I just don't know how. Like, is he actually versatile enough to get more minutes? Say against like, oh yeah, Matt's gonna hit a turnaround step back jumper from the low block over somebody at some point. Is that going to happen? Um, I think right now you would just have to trust that Theo John and Ed Morrow were, would just be more effective at doing that. I, I mean, I watched a lot of Theo John's tape when I, he first came to Marquette's program, and he has a halfway decent jump shot. He's probably going to very rarely use it, and obviously you're, you don't want him jacking up stuff from, like, the top of the key or anywhere outside the lane or close, you know, anywhere far away from the lane, but he he's definitely shown the ability to, like, he can hit that shot w- with some form of consistency. And until we know that Matt can, I mean, he's just not offensively versatile enough. And then his lack of athleticism against the ridiculous, either the small ball looks we're always going to see or, um, you know, against athletic freaks in the post, he's just, there's just better options. Yeah, and I guess the product of the depth, I wasn't expecting the roster. I was expecting the roster depth to have a lot of impacts, but I guess I wasn't expecting it to phase Matt out right away. Um, and if that's what's happening, that's really interesting. Um, it probably has a chance to make the team better overall, just because Matt, again, limited in a lot of ways. But I think he, he was always a guy that played his role really well, and so the fact that that role doesn't appear to exist anymore is... Just kind of a bummer because I would have liked to see him, um, you know, sort of have the se- senior season um, where he is a contributor at least. Um, that's something to track, I guess. It's hard to say right now whether he doesn't have a role, and obviously you don't want to see anyone get hurt. But Matt is a guy that you know has capability as a player and could step in um, and give an injury. Speaking of that, I guess we should probably briefly touch on Ike. Eke, before we um, go into our uh, discussion about Indiana, um, it doesn't look like Ike is going to play anytime soon, if at no. all, this season. No, I mean, it sucks. He could be on the Chris O'Toole route at this point, where he's going to be a six-year senior. Yeah. But, um, Chris O'Toole played, though. Uh, like, yeah. we, I, I'm like thinking, like I don't know if Ike's ever going to play. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I mean... You really don't want it happening to him because he's a good kid and you yeah. never want to see him. Yeah, seems hurt. like a nice guy. And it's the second time he's injured his back. No. Yeah, okay, so um, by the way, a lot of what we know about the severity of Ike's injury comes from this random hearsay tweet that Andy got Yeah. Um, where some guy, some student was talking to him, I guess, and Ike told him he broke his back again. Um, you know, we don't know if that's the case. Wojo has officially said that he's out indefinitely um. Yeah, I mean, I don't expect. I mean, it, it, we it legitimately could be that he won't play this season, and he he could be in you know having a conversation 
by the uh, end of the end of the year where he's talking about just not playing at all going forward. Yeah. And to a certain extent, um, it's Wojo's uh, responsibility um, as the person in charge of the program to not have a scholarship for a guy that's not ever going to play. Yeah. So never- that could be a conversation that comes up as well. I mean, that sure. if he's not going to be able to get healthy, he's going to yeah. have to not play basketball anymore, which is really unfortunate because I think he's a um, seems like a really good kid, has a lot of physical potential. Um, but I, if he doesn't start you know, playing games soon, I don't really know if there's any sort of way that he could ever contribute. No, I, I think, you know, we saw the flashes of him healthy, breaking the high jump record. Right. And, you know, um, so you wanted him to be healthy. And then the fact that I'm hearing that he's re-injured at least – we, we, I don't want to try and confirm or deny anything we've heard from random Twitter accounts. But he's obviously not playing. He's obviously hurt. Um, I don't foresee him coming back this season. I just I wonder at some point, you don't want to throw him to the wolves and say, well, we need this scholarship. But at right. some point, that's going to have to be a conversation that you have. And Yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't just have a scholarship for a guy that's not going to play. Yeah. Um, I'm, I, it's, it's not... The way we're describing it is more ruthless than it is. Like, yeah. I mean, if you can't play basketball, then you can't have a basketball scholarship. It's just like, and it is what it is. I want Ike to stay on this team, sure. right? and I want him to get healthy, and I want him to contribute, and I want him to, you know, be a Marquette player. I, I want nothing but that because I think he has a lot of long-term potential. Yeah. But you know, if he's gonna have a back injury at some point, he's six ten, like rent. Big guys and back injuries don't mix. Correct. And and if he had this back surgery in January that he had and worked all the way back from it just to hurt it again, I mean, that's like a – that's a process of like, like does he have to go through it all again and is it going to work this time? There's a yeah. lot of questions about it. So, again, I don't think we end up seeing Ike as a contributor at all this season and, you know, who knows going forward. Yeah. Um, all right, let's uh, talk about Indiana. Um, so Marquette plays Indiana on Wednesday um, in Assembly Hall. Um, Indiana um, has started the season 2-0. and uh, They played Chicago State, uh, a program I generally consider to be maybe the worst, consistently one of the worst in Division I. Um, yeah. Ken Palm says 347, which is fifth to last. Um, but uh, – a program that I know from my experience with Seattle University um, is one that consistently struggles to field uh, any sort of version of a competitive basketball team. Uh, that was played out on uh, Tuesday when Chicago State, uh, Indiana wore a different jersey than they were supposed to because Chicago State's away uniforms had not been delivered yet. Jesus. Uh, so it, it's again, that's like the kind of program that you're dealing with. They didn't hire their coach until like what September? Yeah, like, it because was... Mark Titus from One Shining Podcast was campaigning to be their coach in a mostly joking way, but mostly, yeah, <laughs> mostly. I mean, he was probably like fifteen percent. Like if they'd offered him the gig, he would have taken it, but. Um, they are not a program. They struggle to, you know, show up to games. Yeah. Like, that's that's kind of where their program is at. So there's not much to be gleaned um, from Indiana playing them. Um, or Montana State, Ken Palm has them at 299. Um, uh, Indiana crushed them 80-35. to 35. Um, We were talking about how Marquette... Um, by virtue of their fantastic defense in the first two games, um, has the second um, best defensive effective field goal percentage. Indiana's is fourth, um, so not to be outdone um, in that way. But I really think um, when you're looking at Indiana, you're looking at two guys. Um, one of them with the big name value, that's Romeo Lankford, uh, 6'6", 215, freshman shooting guard. That is all the savior narrative um surrounding him that you could possibly have uh, the his commitment was attended by like 300 people like yeah. just he's he's the the one in a lifetime recruit for indiana um he's a home yeah well yeah. He's, a, he's a he's from indiana it's the narrative of yeah like the best players in indiana will play for the hoosiers like it was he it's, is yeah. the, it's everything yeah he is 
he's basically what Henry Ellenson was to Marquette at one sure. point, which is like the bet like this elite top ten recruit in your state yeah. has to go to your school, like will carry your school places. And I think the Henry comparison is a is a reasonable one for sure, but I think what separates the Romeo thing is that even when Henry showed up on campus, I don't think he was ever expected to sort of lift the program to heights because I think we realized that the the roster was not good enough to do that. Romeo is like Romeo's taking them to the final four. Yeah. Is like what the is like what the narrative around him is, and that's you know that's crazy. Um, for uh, it's not. I mean, it's not crazy as in like incorrect or anything necessarily, but it's just like the hype around him yes. is wild. Yeah. Um, his uh, first couple games have been uh, pretty solid. Uh, he had 19 points against Chicago State in just 26 minutes. So. A lot of what Indiana's um, first couple games of stats uh, look like are not really complete just by virtue of they were winning by so many points um, that they played a lot of their backups for at least the fourth quarter of uh, the games. Uh, if you go on Ken Palm, their two sort of uh, their uh, win probability charts are straight lines, straight lines on yeah. the bottom of the of the chart. They were never like under. Uh, 95% uh, chance to win. So it, it they didn't really play full games, interesting games necessarily, but Romeo had uh, 19 points in 26 minutes in his first game. He had 12 points in 23 minutes um, in the second game. Um, obviously uh, not as great, um, but uh, still, you know, impressive uh, production in his first ever collegiate games. Um, the other name to watch is Juwan Morgan. Uh, he was much better in the second game than he was in the first game. Uh, 14 points in 22 minutes um, and 11 rebounds against uh, Montana State. Um, it's not uh, a matter of... Uh, these games really don't show a whole lot uh, statistically, but I just think going into the season... Um, people were finger-pointing uh, Lankford and Morgan as Indiana's two best players. I think it's played out that way um, thus far this season. And um, Marquette, uh, just like Indiana will be uh, Marquette's first test, Marquette will be Indiana's first test. Yeah. Um, I, I'll, let you, I'll let you dive into it. One more thing I just wanted to point out was something Indiana has done that is a little bit projectable. Uh, so to speak, Indiana has not shot the ball well from three at all in these first two games. Um, in games where they're winning by 45 and 50 points, respectively, you would expect them to be, you know, producing offensive, um, you know, fantastic offensive numbers. They're shooting 31% from three as a team. Um, they don't have a player that's made more than three threes, um, and they've got one that's made three and two that have made two and then everyone else if they've made one has made one which is um it's not what you'd expect from a high major program playing against these crappy teams i mean for um you know marcus has already made nine and sam's made five um and obviously marquette's going to shoot a lot more uh threes just by virtue of their um their offense um and the way that they play but uh romeo langford's one for eight from three uh, Devontae Green, uh, Indiana's primary point guard, is one for eight from three. Yeah. Um, so it just it's not they have not looked good shooting no. threes. Um, and they've also been poor from the free throw line. They're shooting fifty five percent from the free throw line. So Indiana's jump shooting has been poor to start the season. Which you know obviously you can have bad nights, but when you're winning games by forty five and fifty points you would think that you'd be playing, you'd be shooting the ball really well, and they have not. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> you would assume that that kind of corrects itself um, against Marquette, but I, I haven't... Uh, Indiana's almost less tested than Marquette is right now. I mean, Marquette's... For if, sure. If you average out how... Marquette's... Good, the yeah. two teams Marquette have played have been significantly better than the two Indiana. Yeah, yeah. so... Um, it, it'll be really interesting. Um, I think their numbers are pretty inflated. I... Worry. I think my biggest worry against Indiana is um, we haven't really seen Sakar or Shartuni or Jamal Kane or anybody be able to lock down a guy that's having a good day or like match up with a guy who's having a good day. They were they were putting Sakar on um, Isaiah Bailey from Bethany Cookman. 
Um, and he was still getting points, uh, you know, basically by himself on Saturday. But um, he was still scoring. And so I, I worry that we, 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 have some, we have some very good on-ball defenders, but we don't have a lockdown guy that can just shut down a hot shooter. And, like, yeah, if a hot shooter is hot, then it is what it is. But you would hope that you have a defender that you can throw at them to slow them down. And I, I don't know if we have that right now. Um, Indiana's going to play small. Jamal Morgan's going to start down low, and he's only 6'8", 6'9". Um, they're going to play small. So um, they're going to be ath- way more athletic than we've seen. They're going to have the best point guard we've played against in Devontae Green, um, who is passing the ball really well, but also turning the ball over a lot. So um, I think uh, Marquette's keys to victory uh, is to just attempt to slow down Langford. I think he's going to put up 20 points on us. I just – yeah. I think that's going to happen. Um, I think you need to get rid of his supporting cast, um, and you need to really exploit. Like I, I, I want Chartouni to go and realize what he's supposed to be for this team against Devontae Green and get some steals off a guy that's turning the ball over. And I want uh, Theo John and Ed Morrow to out-athletic and out-physical Jawan Morgan down low, even though Jawan Morgan's going to be a threat all over the court. Yeah. Um, so... I was really not optimistic about this game going into the season after seeing sort of the numbers. Um, I haven't watched any of Indiana's tape. No, um, me neither. I, I don't think they're a very heavy pick-and-roll team. If they are, it's for Romeo Langford. Sure. Um, so I guess we'll just see. Um, I'm a little bit more optimistic after a night of calming down, um, after, after being rather mad about the Bethune-Cookman game for no good reason. Um, but yeah, I just, this is one that if you get a good win on, if you get a win on the road, it's a really good win, um, against a pretty, a team that will most likely be in the tournament and most likely compete in the big 10, um, and most likely be a very good team going forward. Um, if you don't, you, you lose to that same team away, which is still a loss, but not bad. Yeah. Um, for me, and this is sort of rehash of what I said talking about this game on the last pod, but it's it's a matter of Assembly Hall being something completely different that Marquette has seen so far. I mean, their first two games are essentially these warm-up uh, teams in this brand-new arena they have that's this huge um, boost from a standpoint of these teams that are used to playing in quasi-high school gyms come yeah. into a state-of-the-art NBA arena and are just in awe. And so it's a... And Marquette knows they're better than these teams, so they can just sort of play it out and, and warm up essentially through the game. Uh, Indiana's uh, one of the better home court advantages in the country, and uh, it's going to be a challenge just from that standpoint. A hostile environment is nothing like what they've experienced the first two games. I think that's going to be the biggest transition right away that combined with playing legitimate D1 offensive threats, which they haven't played yet. Um, And so I think that there's a chance that it could take them a little while to get into the game and that could be um, something Indiana could exploit. Um, But yeah, I think it's going to be, I mean, Marcus Howard and Sam Hauser are going to need to be at their best uh, to win that game um, because Marquette's going to need to sort of match Indiana's, um, you know, elite uh, uh, offensive players uh, with uh, offensive players of their own because as much as Marquette's defense has been fantastic um, in the first uh, two games, I don't think Marquette can win games with their defense yet. No. Um, So they're going to need sort of the the Thunder and Lightning, uh, Hauser and Howard and, you know, whoever else wants to make shots. Um, offensively to carry them in that game. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see if they do. I don't know. I mean, I guess, uh, you know, uh, can, uh, analytics websites have Marquette losing the game. Um, By a couple possessions. Yeah, yeah. It's like, like four-point margin or something, which is really reasonable for an early-season road game. Um, I, and I don't think you can really say... Um, I don't feel comfortable with a prediction other than, like, looking at that... Um, that projection and being like that makes sense given all the, all the, uh, you know, what we know about both teams. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think Marquette can win it. And, uh, I think it probably makes sense to consider them underdogs, but I think they can easily win it. Um, 
because I think that the roster is talented enough, um, and I think that they probably, um, without knowing much about Indiana's um, non-starters, I just think Marquette has a lot of depth um, that could challenge um, um, most rosters outside of sort of the elite programs. Sure, I think yeah, I think this game's going to be won primarily on um, the backs of uh, Joey Hauser and sure. Uh, Ed Morrow and Theo John. So, like, I think that rotation of three... Like, I yeah, think Marcus beyond is... Beyond the yeah, initial... Yeah, beyond the initial, like, yeah. Sam and Marcus are going to play well. Right. Like, they're going to still be the, the leaders. It would be nice if Sam was getting usage, though, I will say. Because yeah. I think the first couple of games, he's either missed some shots you'd like to see him make, or just not gotten a ton of the ball when he's been in there. Um, and so, I think, I guess, um, if he had a high-usage, effective shooting night, that would be a really big boost beyond yeah. sort of what he's. Um, I mean, he's in usage rate on pretty low. The team. All things considered, he is fifth this yeah. season so far, um, which you would like to see change him use. You know, you'd like to see him be second on the team in usage ideally. Although I will say he does score sort of from it in an efficient inefficient way yeah so um you know obviously his calling card has been you know efficiency and not high usage sure but it would be nice if he could have that kind of game but i agree with you that i think we can kind of assume unless they just hack the crap out of marcus and out physical him all game which is a possibility but um i think you're right that he's going to have a game and so it'll come down to sort of what marquette gets from their other contributors um Guys like Sakar Anum, I, I don't. You mentioned Joey. You said Joey. Yeah. I, so I think this game's really going to be won on Ed and Theo containing Juwan Morgan. I I yeah. think that Romeo Langford, like I said, is going to go off, and you just have to cut off the rest of the team. Um, so I think that it, the game's really going to be won on can we effectively defend Juwan Morgan all over the court? Can we not get ripped apart on the pick and roll by um, their their point guards um, or? If it's Langford in the pick and roll, Langford, yeah. um, and then I think that offensively, I, I want Joey Hauser. Like Joey Hauser is going to be probably one of the hardest people for them to guard. Um, they're going to have to throw somebody like Juwan Morgan at Ed Morrow or Theo John because they're absolutely out physical anybody else guarding them. Um, which means that Joey's going to be matched up against somebody who probably just isn't as good. So um, I think it'll be one on Joey and Sam sort of exploiting the matchups they get defensively. Um, and uh, also, I think that uh, one of the most important players outside of those three is going to be uh, Jamal Kane because he'll probably be tasked with being Sakar's backup and defending Langford. Yeah. So um, if he can just do his best to contain, then uh, I think Marquette can walk out with a win. Yeah, I, and I think it's possible. And we should mention that Marquette is playing... Um, Presbyterian next Saturday. Um, don't really think there's anything much to say about that, though. Presbyterian is right around 300 in Ken Palm. It uh, should be another Bethune Cookman. Yeah, it's, I mean, those teams are like within five in Ken yeah. Palm's rankings. I think that's going to be a very similar kind of game. One of those games where if Marquette plays well, they win it by 40. If they uh, struggle, it's a close game into the early second half, maybe. Yeah, um, it's one of those games that you don't expect them to lose. I will say, um, the uh, top uh, contributor and scorer so far this season for Presbyterian is named Francois Lewis. I'm a very large fan of that name. That is a fantastic name. He's also six nine two thirty, so yeah. he's a he's he's a big dude. Um, but he has made seven threes. Yeah. So I mean, sounds like he's a pretty uh, potentially fun player, both in name and in. Um, effectiveness, but yeah, again, Presbyterian. Presbyterian's mascot, by the way, the blue hose. As Hell like, yes. As in like socks, but like yes. just a very weird, uh, like super throwback, like was this team nicknamed in the early 19th century kind of thing. And the answer is yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know much, pretend to know much about them as a school, but the fact that they have a nickname that is similar to what the White Sox got rid of after a while. <laughs> like, yeah. it's pretty amazing. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think there's much to add there. Um, Indiana's the big game to watch this week. Um, Indiana will be uh, the sort of, I don't know, the the B test before the A test in uh, 
Brooklyn against Kansas. And uh, I think so. I think we're going to get mauled by Kansas, and we'll talk about yeah. this more next week. Yeah. I think the game yeah, against Indiana will Kansas. really show the type of team Marquette is. Like, yeah, we should be. Indiana is only a couple spots higher than us in Ken Palm. Yes. Um, you know, we're both in the top thirty. Um, I think that if we can walk in there and get a good win and walk out, I think it can prove like, hey, we are a, a, a top twenty-five team. We are like in the conversation for being one of these yeah. elite. That's another you know. thing. Um, the both teams in front of Marquette um, uh, in the AP top twenty-five, Loyal Chicago was twenty-six, Washington well, was twenty-five. Both of those teams lost, so Marquette will likely be in the top twenty-five on Monday. Yeah, um, so when we are recording on Sunday. We're so. recovering this on Sunday. Yeah, so Marquette will likely be in the top twenty-five this week, which will be exciting yeah. unless they get jumped. Um, from behind, which I which could also I, I, very possible. Yeah. I've not looked at it um, to confirm, but Marquette has a legitimate shot to be ranked uh, going into this game against Indiana, which would be very sure. exciting. I'm actually going to check that right now. Okay. So, um, and also while you're there, check if Indiana's ranked because I'm not sure off the top of my head if they are. Indiana is not ranked as far as I'm aware. Okay. So yeah, Washington was 25. They lost. To Indiana Auburn. was right behind Marquette in rece- okay. in receiving votes. So. Okay. I could see Indiana there, um, yeah. but yeah, I, I think that Watt, Loyal Chicago is in front of Marquette. Washington got, I'm a, from Seattle, Washington got boat raced by Auburn on yeah. Friday, I think. I, Which, I mean, Auburn's very good. Yeah, so. correct, but it was like, it was 88-66. Yeah. So, so if you're looking terrible. at teams that are going to drop out, I mean, yeah, Washington's probably going to fall. That means Marquette or Indiana are going to be the person replacing them at 25. Yeah, and um, so it could be that Marquette ends up ranked, and that would be awesome. Yeah. Um, anything uh, you want to say uh, before we get out of here here? Um, I think, obviously, Indiana is what everyone's watching this week, and uh, it'll be exciting uh, for Marquette to play an actual competitive game of basketball as opposed to you know whatever these first two games have been. Um, yeah. And, yeah, Romeo Langford, if he's for real, um, I think that he'll be a fantastic early actual test of what this defensive improvement looks like, and I'm excited to watch it. Yeah. I uh, I mean, I don't th- – this is sort of the, the Ben Simmons moment of a really, really, really elite recruit playing on – Yes, correct. A, a halfway decent team otherwise. I mean, this Indiana team is better than that LSU team was, but we beat Ben Simmons. Yeah. Um, I really hope we can beat – uh, Romeo Langford. I agree. Um, all right. Uh, thanks again for uh, tuning in um, and check in uh, next week where we talk about um, what happened uh, in Assembly Hall and uh, spin it forward to Thanksgiving week, uh, the big week uh, they'll have upcoming in Brooklyn. Thanks a lot, guys.